Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with Frank Ost, our rock and roll expert. And Frankie, how's everything going? Getting ready for Christmas? Absolutely. Great to be here uh, in the Christmas season. In the Christmas spirit, are we? Absolutely. Well, we had sad news, and we talked about this uh, briefly before last week's episode. Michael Mm -hmm. Nesmith, of course, passed away with his family by his side. He was 78 years old. He was soon to be 79. He has a birthday that, uh, uh, that was coming up at the end of the month. So we wanted to do a little mini feature on the monkeys since um, I love the monkeys. My sister loves the monkeys, and, <laughs> and you for a time liked them. Oh, the, absolutely, if, sure. If not the show, then for sure the, the music. But mm-hmm. the music was an integral part of that show, wasn't it? Absolutely. You can see where the beginnings of Michael and his love of uh, videos, music videos, he might have struck a chord with him, so to speak. And he would say, you know what, if I could only make videos that are a little less campy, not, right. that they, not that they weren't when they first came out. You saw some of the Rolling Stones stuff, Start Me Up and whatever in oh, videos. Oh, sure, sure. But he might have said, you know what? I may have something here. He fought to get a couple of cuts on those early albums. Absolutely, and he always managed to get something on there. He but did. probably not nearly as much as he wanted to. He was a really good songwriter and accomplished guitarist. You know, he played in the drums, too. Oh, he always had a drum that. kit by his side at home. He taught Mickey how to play the drums. So it coincided with their um, tour in 1967. Sure. And also the release of Headquarters, since Mickey really didn't know how to play drums, but they really fought to play those instruments of theirs on that, on that great album, the best-selling, what is a quintuple-selling Headquarters album, exactly, quadruple yeah. platinum. He was the, the cool monkey, you know, <laughs> the guy with the green stocking cap. And then later on, he had a blue stocking cap. See some of those videos. On YouTube. Yeah, also seemed to be the quiet monkey. Yeah, yeah the quiet definitely. monkey. But the cool guy who uh, brought the big mutton chop sideburns into yep, play. Absolutely. And, now, legend has it, it might have come from my sister that at a show of his, <laughs> of the monkeys, Michael threw his green stocking cap out to the crowd. Oh, okay. Did you ever see the monkeys Why in not? concert or did you want to? No, I, ne- I never did. Um Probably should have at one point or another, but no, I never did. They had a concert tour, which was kind of promoted by MTV. In like 1986, the show came back on TV. It right, might have aired on MTV right. for all I, I remember, Nickelodeon or something. And so they all reunited except for Michael. And I always wondered why, but it was because his video production company that he was running with like 20 people underneath him was so big at the time that he just couldn't get away. You can't go away for six-month tour. You exactly, know. yeah. Because he not only produced videos, but he distributed them them to record companies and TV and, you know, it, it, just doing commercials is a daunting sure. task if you if you distribute uh, commercials or something like and that. And if so. you're running a country uh, company, you don't really have time to just take six months off and say, I'll see you later, guys. Yeah. You know, that's very hard to do. I think he did get together with them. It, maybe it was, wasn't that tour, but one of the ensuing ones, all four of them in L.A. or something like that. Gotcha. And they all got along. So the show, The Monkees, was only on for a couple of years. Then Mike decided to go back to school. Oh, okay. He went to UCLA to study part-time music history and American history. And then uh, he got together like a collaborative group called the First National Band, later known as Mike Nesmith and the First National Band. They had a one-hit wonder called Joanne in 1970. Was their one and only hit or his as a solo artist. Um, So it hit top 20 on Billboard. There you go, yeah, absolutely. And that was like the very beginnings of country rock, which was, uh, you could hear it in his songs, and uh, Papa Jean's Blues. And yeah, here's a list of some of the the great tunes he wrote. You Just May Be the One, 
Daily Nightly, Don't Call on Me, which you co-wrote. A Sunny Girlfriend, You Told Me, Mary Mary, The Kind of Girl I Could Love, The Girl I Knew Somewhere, which was the B-side to their big hit, uh, A Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You. Sweet Young Thing. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. With Gotham and King. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Different Drum for the Stone Ponies featuring a young Linda Ronstadt. Uh, very young. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of taught Mickey how to write some songs, too. Okay. So uh, Peter wrote for, for Pete's Sake, which was their, you know, In This Generation, that uh, Monkey's theme song. That's right, yeah. And that was uh, maybe the close of their, their show. And it might have even been the open the second year or something like that, instead of Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. We're the Monkeys, yeah. He also wrote Peter Percival. Remember the, had so much pie, he popped. Yes. Hard to say without popping a pee. Mm-hmm. They had other great songwriters too, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Neil Diamond wrote I'm a Believer, a little bit me, a little bit you. You can hear Neil coming through. You know, oh, look I, out, here comes tomorrow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Definitely. King and Goffin, uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday, one of my favorites. And Star- of course, uh, Boyce and Hart, you oh, know, yeah. I mean, geez. So they, King and Goffin, Star Collector, Sometime in the Morning, Take a Giant Step, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Sweet Young Thing with uh, Mike. Boyce and Hart, Words, Valerie, I Can't Get Her Off of My Mind, Mr. Webster, which is a great song. That's right, yeah. I'll Spend My Life With You, I Want to Be Free. She and Steppenstone, and they, along with Mike, produced their first two albums, The Monkees, along right, with Chip right. Douglas taking over after that. So, you know, they certainly had a, a career, and they got together, you know, when they could. Carol Beer Sager and Neil Sedaka also chipped in with When Love Comes Knocking at Your Door. That's a fun song, Very isn't it? Very nice. You know what I liked about The Monkees? I've told you this many times, growing up a Wixie and G98 fan. Oh, Yeah. You listened to singles, didn't you? Sure. And I bought Absolutely. 45s because I didn't have the money for albums until I joined that Columbia Record Club, <laughs> which a lot of people did, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but Me too. listening to the album gave you appreciation for other tunes that were on there. You can say, you know, I really like I'm a Believer, but some other tracks I like better because I'm a Believer you hear all the time, even sure. now. Or other songs like Valerie. Um it really gave me a, an appreciation and a love for the whole album. And that's why I really like our deep cuts from top exactly. albums. Exactly. I was just going to say, it just reminds me of our deep cuts because that's what we do is we search out those those cuts that we just couldn't get along without. Yeah. You know? It really fills in all the blanks for those those great albums of theirs. Platinums, quadruple platinums, quintuple platinum. That's saying something, especially when you have the, the Beatles and the Beach Boys to compete with, not to mention all the other acts from Britain in yeah, the mid to late sixties. Remember when we did our uh, countdown for nineteen sixty seven, it was shocking sure. that it was although the Beatles had put out two fantastic albums that year and Sgt. Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour, it was the monkeys that ruled that year. Yeah. They had four Four mm. number one albums that year. Almost all in a row, too. Exactly. I know Sgt. Pepper's <laughs> was out. <laughs> they, but. they spent the whole, you know, basically the whole year, the whole other year. than a little bit of uh, of um, Beatles action, and you know. But it, just fantastic stuff. We were talking at bowling last week, and just to, to give you an idea of how kind of universal they were, all of the, the whole team remembered the show. And what came up was the um, the bubblegum cards. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you collected those, but I collected those, and a couple of guys on the team did. Did they? I have no idea where they, they went. Probably tossed 
years ago from yeah, my with the baseball cards. Yeah, something like that. But there were monkeys cards. There were Batman cards. There were Beatles cards. But there were definitely monkeys cards. And I know I, if I didn't have the whole set, I had pretty close to it. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have the cards, but I'll tell you what I would have liked is the monkey mobile, that car. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, there's a model you could put together back then. Right. My brother did models, and but I didn't. But that would have been fun to have right oh, now. absolutely. And those yeah. model cars weren't that big. They weren't like the Barbie cars where you buy for your five-year-old daughter. Right, and right. The small cars, and it would have been fun to have that now. Absolutely. Yeah. It would have been fun to drive in it, too, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So I told you that uh, my sister and I went to the Monkey Show, and they actually added that date. They were going to do a real smaller tour because Mickey knew Michael wasn't doing so well. Oh, I didn't realize that. And so they added a lot of dates, actually, more than maybe they should have. But the last show was at the Greek Theater in L.A. Okay, yeah. It was just before Thanksgiving, and, and Mickey knew that Mike wasn't doing well. But Mike was steadfast. He said, I'm going to do this tour. He was uh, stubborn about it. At the Mm -hmm. beginning, he said, I'm going to finish this tour. I want to tour. I knew it would be the last time. And how did he do that night? He looked frail. Okay. um, But he was there. He was standing. And that... That was saying something because he had quadruple quadruple bypass surgery like three or four years ago. Wow. And he died of heart failure. But he wasn't doing well. He wasn't on stage the whole time. He sounded really good for as old as he was. Mickey, of course, was in top form. Right. Uh, they He has that showman stick. And they did very well together, singing together and kind of playing off each other. You could tell their affection for each other. Mickey just loved Mike and vice versa. Sure, sure. Uh, so the show was really, really good. Uh, very much like an L.A. show, like a Donnie and Marie show. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had a great backup band. In fact, Mickey's daughter was one of the backup singers. So mm, there you it's go. a really good show. Glad I saw him. I'm sure Mickey, my sister, is is glad that she saw him, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, good it's grief. Just a just month a later f- that he died. Exactly, a few weeks. Done. So that's sad news. Uh, Mickey's the lone remaining monkey, and obviously no more. No more tours, but that would have been the last one anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't think so at this point, yeah. Mickey's like 75 now, so. Um, but that was nice uh, to see the to the group and, and to listen to all that music. We still got the music, don't we, Frankie? We absolutely do, and uh, you can uh, download it online, and I'm sure you can find some CDs around, too. Yeah. Just there, great stuff. There's some great compilation oh, CDs, yeah. too, with a lot of alternate versions of Love is Only Sleeping or The Door into Summer, any kinds of songs that you sure, like. Sure, absolutely. So I think you're going to find something that you like on any of those albums, at least the early ones. Definitely. Right, right up until Head. I know they had other ones out, but, uh, you know, that's pretty much it for me. In 1968, I had moved on to some other things by then. Yeah, and I think they were kind of moving on, at least in their heads. Yeah. Uh, there, was, there was a place they wanted to be, and I don't think it was no longer doing the show yeah. week to week. They were, <laughs> they were fighting with the record label. They were exactly. fighting with Kirshner, and that's no way to carry on in a, in that, in a healthy environment in music. Yeah, and that's think. a high-pressure mm-hmm. environment in yeah. itself. And when you're trying to put out records and you're trying to tour and you're trying to make a TV show, I mean, all those things are high-pressure. Yeah. Mickey was saying that they would come in after a day of shooting and lay down some tracks. The music was already laid down by the the session musicians, Hal Blaine and whoever. Sure, sure. And they'd have Mickey or Davey or Mike or even Peter sing at the end of the day. That's a long day into the oh, night. Yeah, sure is. Not to mention the pressure that comes with touring when you're not a great drummer and you know it. <laughs> and you're on stage and you've got to pull it off. The girls are screaming and stuff. but Which helped. Yeah. So that's the monkeys. Thanks for um, 
reminiscing with me, Frankie. Oh, absolutely. It, was, it was nice. A lot of it's, fun. it's always uh, always tough to lose someone that you felt close to Christmas time or any time of year. Exactly. So we'll move on with our show, and we'll begin with our top five rockin' Christmas songs. December 20th this week, and uh, Christmas is coming up in just five days. Frankie, how's your shopping coming along? Oh, it's, it's going great, like usual. Have you, I'm totally behind. <laughs> have you asked for anything <laughs> special under your tree? Uh, an album by Led Zeppelin? Oh, no, that would have been in the 70s. That's but still, right. Wouldn't it be fun to find uh, something like that under your tree now? Maybe a deluxe version of something? Absolutely. It'd be fun. We have our top five rockin' songs. We've gone over our top ten, actually, from ten until six last week. Now... Five up to one. And Frankie, you're going to start. What is your number five rockin' Christmas tune? Well, number five um, by a gentleman by the name of Billy Squire. You might remember him from the yeah. uh, 70s, 80s. Uh, Robert Palmer, the Robert Plant sound alike. Absolutely. Uh, had a song uh, that, that he actually wrote as a brand new song, Christmas is the Time to Say I Love You. Mm-hmm. Good tune. Um, it was uh, written by him, and when MTV invited him to play in studio, um, it turned into a sing-along with all the MTV staff. Um, Martha Quinn calls it her favorite MTV moment. So, really, you know, I'll go with that. Number four, uh, 12 Days of Christmas" by a group called Straight No Chaser. Yeah, which is actually a college group. It's a mashup of Carol the Bells. Here we come, Wassling, Deck the Halls, the Dreidel Song, and mm-hmm. Toto's Africa. Oh, I, I know that song. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's hilarious. Once uh, you mentioned Africa, I knew what you're talking about. Absolutely, wonderful song that yeah. uh, I, I look forward to hearing every Christmas season. Sure. Next one, Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy by the Odd Couple <laughs> of Bing Crosby and David Bowie. And where do you start with this one? But Bowie actually actually was supposed to sing a duet of Little Drummer Boy with Bing, but he hated the song and asked if there was anything else he could sing. The show's musical supervisor wrote, now he get this, he wrote Peace on Earth as a counterpoint in less than an hour. Oh, And they recorded it the same day. Now, isn't that incredible? The guy sat down, wrote it, and he recorded it the same day. And and Bowie, of course, loved it enough that he put it on you know, on the show. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it became a classic, you know, yeah. a Christmas classic. Well, you got to call that up on YouTube, as I do every year. That's such a, a fun thing to watch. The Now, Bing was a very um, welcoming person on camera. You know, he made people feel at home, but they still didn't quite know who each other was. Well, and, yeah, the conservative Bing, Bing Crosby. Crosby. and Just months well, before his death. You, you know. couldn't have possibly gotten more off the, off the rails back yeah. then. Than David Bowie. And I guess they were supposed to do an updated version before David's death a few years ago with David Bowie playing the older The old man? man? Maybe okay. a Justin Bieber or somebody that he may not have recognized, a her or somebody like that. Sure. Would have been interesting to see that. That absolutely was. And I wonder what song he would have sung. Yeah. Interesting. Would he be been okay at the time with Little Drummer Boy? <laughs> I or don't maybe know. maybe something else completely different. Exactly. Uh, number two on my list um, is one we have talked about before, um, Happy Christmas War is Over by John and Yoko. Um, and we mentioned this with having to do with his death mm. when they played this uh, on that same night that yep. he passed away. It's the one that brought me to tears. Yeah, and such a tearjerker. When it you... still does uh, to this day and just love that song. And then finally, uh, on the bright side of things, Santa Claus is coming to town. Clarence, by... you've, been, you've been good and... 
Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. <laughs> I love that line. The wind whipping down the boardwalk. Clarence getting a new sax, uh, and Bruce cracking up because of Clarence's ho ho hos. Yeah. Um, it absolutely just screams an E Street Christmas. That's a great song. Oh, I love that is. song. I, I never get tired of it. My top five: Gabriel Gabriel's message. Sting. It comes from the very special Christmas, the first one they released in 1987. You know, that's a quadruple platinum album produced by Jimmy Iovine. Wow. So uh, it featured a lot of great tunes. The Gabriel's Message, I kind of like the one better by Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Okay. <laughs> um, but for a rockin' song, Sting hits the mark there with, uh, it's only like two minutes and 48 seconds or something like that. So great, great song. It's that the one with the red album cover, if you're going to be calling that up. Sure. Very special Christmas. I think they had three, maybe four versions of volumes of it. Number four is Jim Croce. It doesn't have to be that way. I love that song. You don't hear it very often, but it evokes song. memories of Christmas. Yeah, it snowy sure does. nights and Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hit yeah. you over the head with right, Christmas. exactly. Right. It doesn't take too long either. Kind of like Gabriel's message. These Christmas songs I like because they're short. Yeah, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Maybe not so short, and one of the <laughs> favorites of classic rock stations. But I really like it. Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, twelve twenty-four. I haven't seen the show. Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Christmas show. I've never seen that either. because it seems to Cle- in Cleveland to come around after Christmas, and I'm not in the mood at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, they've come around for many years, and I guess it's a great show. Never really had that much interest in it, but I, I do like the song. I do remember seeing them on Beethoven's Last Night. They did have that show that was a exceedingly long first act, okay. like an hour and a half. And I had a cold that night, and the lights were shining right in my eyes. I couldn't stop sneezing. And, oh, jeez. You know, but I really enjoyed the show from what I remember of it, but I have not seen the Christmas show. Maybe someday I will. 2,000 Miles by Pretenders, written by Chrissy Hind, one of my favorite of all time, mm-hmm. produced by Chris Thomas for James Honeyman Scott. It was written. The bandmate, the original guitarist, you know, he died, passed away a year earlier. I love that song. 2,000 Miles by Pretenders, another one you don't hear very often. Yeah, and that's an incredible song, and I agree with you. You don't hear it near enough. Greg Lake is number one. It's always been my my favorite. I believe in Father Christmas. Now, I know Merry Christmas, Darling could have been in there, but for our purposes, for the Rockin' Christmas, I just can't quite get Carpenters in there. Maybe they would have been 11 or 12 in our countdown. Gotcha. I believe in Father Christmas was not really intended to be a Christmas song by Greg, but was and still is a, a favorite of the holiday season. And again, not one you hear very often unless a DJ can sneak it in. Definitely. Uh, it comes uh, on a couple of different albums. The Works Volume 2 is kind of a toned down, uh, not as orchestrated from 1970. Yeah, it's a, definitely a different version than the one you hear yeah. usually on the radio. The, which is more of a Phil Spector type of song exactly. with the choir in the background. So those are my top five rockin' Christmas songs. Concert calendar time. Before we do that, Frankie, did you see Bruce Springsteen, the boss, just sold his song collection, his collection of music that he wrote for a half a billion, with a B, dollars, $500 million. He sold it to Sony last week. Good grief. No, I didn't see that. I, how, how did I possibly miss that? I, I can't believe I didn't see it, but no, I didn't. You know what I would like would be his one of his binders that he has all of his handwritten songs written in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something <laughs> that to get hold of? That would be incredible. Now, Bob Dylan, of course, sold his catalog for reported $300 million earlier this sure. year. Stevie Nicks has sold like 80%. Even Barry Manilow 
And speaking of money, and big money at that, the top five grossing tours just been announced. Three out of the top five are classic rockers, like the Eagles and uh, Dead and Company. The top grossing tour, the Rolling Stones. $115 million. That's way ahead of the next guy in line, Harry Styles, and even the Eagles only had like $55 million. That just shows you the power of the Stones these days. They just had uh, 12 dates and 11 cities. Remember, they had to rearrange some things so they couldn't come to Cleveland, or it would have even been more. So uh, not a lot of Christmas shows, uh, except for TSO. Yep, absolutely. They're coming on the 30th. Two shows, 3 and 8 p.m., Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Then the concerts kind of take a little break, January and February, not a lot going on. But in March, at Playhouse Square at the Palace, Kansas is coming back. Ooh, that'll be a good one. Marshall Tucker Band, I love them. MGM Northfield Park on the 4th of March, Tower of Power at the center stage there. On Thursday the 17th, that's St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Graham Nash is going to be at the Kent stage Saturday uh, the 3rd of April. That should be a good show. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure he has a lot to say and a lot to sing about. The English Beat also at the Kent stage. Between that and the MGM Grand, those are really good venues for artists these days. There's no more front row, you know. Janice Ian, if you want to see her end of the line tour, okay. her last Northeast Ohio performance is set for Wednesday, May 11th. These are all be hopefully with COVID, you know, cooling down or exactly. something. Exactly. We don't, uh, of course, we don't know whether these things will ever come to pass or not. Hopefully they will. Uh, but it's like anything else. Like, it's kind of a week to week thing. You have to COVID. live with it, right? Sure. Blossom kind of worked out some kinks, and uh, things from all accounts were going smoothly last summer with the COVID and the vaccine. Uh, yeah, and you would think if there's anywhere that you'd want to see a concert, being in the nice outdoors yeah. and having a little bit more <laughs> space, I think that's a perfect place. So at Blossom Music Center, Wednesday, June 1st, a perfect night for that. Uh, Sticks and Ario Speedwagon should be warm by then, you would uh, think. Another <laughs> good show. Uh, yeah, definitely. Another, our, sounds yeah. like a good one. Yeah. Our featured artist today, the Doobie Brothers, is uh, they're going to have their 50th anniversary tour uh, in year 51 because they had to cancel a bunch of shows last sure. year, including the one at Blossom because one of their, a couple of their crew members came down with COVID, so yep. they had to put it off until July 12th. It's a Tuesday. Then a week later, also at Blossom, Rod Stewart's. And cheap wow, trick. I didn't hear about that one. Of course, Elton John at the end of the month at Progressive Field. So if you're looking for some last-minute Christmas gift ideas for you or someone you love, one of these shows might just fit the bill. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Frankie, two should get in. I like this category. We're not going to run out of acts anytime soon, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to look up and see who's in and who isn't. Mine is Ario Speedwagon over uh, their better than 50-year career. Wow. They sold better than 40 million albums. Now, granted, about 14 million or 15 million were from High Infidelity, but that album was like the eighth one in the line of of albums that they that they put out absolutely over the years, yeah you know they're great in concert they they still are and they've been around uh cleveland area recently over the last couple of months in the early to mid 80s they were just like journey though and sticks packing the coliseum and bigger venues like oh that. absolutely maybe not stadiums but mm-hmm. certainly big venues like uh, you'll see uh basketball arenas and whatnot still on tour today um you know keep on loving you time for me to fly Riding the Storm Out, Can't Fight the Feeling, Take It on the Run, 16 album releases, two number one hits, eight albums released prior to that smash, High Infidelity. We talked about them and how being so good in concert, like Grand Funk, who we've had on uh, Mark Farner before, you know, you really 
get your chops together, don't you? you exactly. got to be a good live group. And REO Speedwagon was really good live. And they knew how to play. But it took a little while, and Epic Records stuck with them, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, you're right. It did take a while. Uh, but as you said, they kind of earned their stripes. Uh, they played a lot on the road, and wow, uh, when they hit, they hit big. Yeah. Speaking of which, they were at the MGM Northfield Park uh, a couple of nights ago on December 18th. Uh, that was a Saturday night, so gotcha. I didn't get to go to the show. I'm not crazy about driving in the snow these days or bad weather. You know, I, you never know. If you buy tickets in June for a December concert, it may be a blizzard or it might be the greatest night of December. Sure. Just never quite sure. What you got for me? Two should get in. Well, um, I'm looking at a band, again, from the 70s, uh, The Tower of Power. Oh, I love them. So now, does my sister, Geraldine. Yes, she does. And uh, now I know it's this is now normally where I list the group's platinum and gold albums and top 40 singles. Well, Tower of Power really doesn't fit that model. Sure, they have charted eight times in the top 100 uh, and have one of the hottest live albums of all time, Live and in Living Color. And they've had some incredible musicians in the band, legendary funk bassist Rocco Prestia, organ master Chester Thompson, saxophonist Richard Elliott, Emilio Castillo, Huge Groove, guitarist Bruce Conti, drummer David Garibaldi, just to mention a few. In fact, they've been used nonstop over the years to collaborate and make other groups' music even better. The Towers uh, musicians have appeared on many artists recordings including Otis Redding, Aerosmith, Bonnie Raitt, David Sanborn, Eric Clapton. <laughs> got a lot of Hall of Famers uh, right there. Yeah. Elton John, Huey Lewis, mm. Hart, Santana, Stevie Nicks, Grateful Dead, Thank goodness. Journey, Cat Stevens, uh, and I could go on and on, dozens more. And of course their brass section uh is on a live album that I've featured on this podcast, Raisin Hell by Elvin Bishop. It is for this continue continued greatness and service to music that I would like to see the band inducted into the musical excellence category. They have definitely earned it. Well, that's where Ringo Starr is. He was inducted in the musical excellence category as well as many other performers, some that you mentioned even, perhaps. Right. The San Francisco, the Bay Area band, uh, So Very Hard to Go, You're Still a Young Man, if you're familiar with those two songs. I wonder if Robin Trower had played with Tower of Power, what they would have called (laughs) themselves. Robin Trower's Tower of Power or Robin or Trower of Power. Exactly. Either way, Tower of Power deserves to get in. Sure. And maybe they will someday. Hopefully. All right, Frankie, one hit wonder. You're going to have both of these in your on your turntable, I'm sure. Maybe not at the same time. I don't think so. But uh, Day by Day by Godspell. I love the song. I don't have it in a single, but I do have it on one of those uh, Have a Nice Day variety collections. Oh, okay. So it hit number 13 in the summer of 72. A year earlier, it was Jesus Christ Superstar, so that was all the rage, wasn't it? Absolutely. Spent 14 weeks on the top of the chart. Composer was Stephen Schwartz, who also wrote hit musicals Pippin that same year. Wow. And also, he wrote that in college, by the way. Uh, Godspell at the age of 23. And Wicked, that show is in town right now. He's won three Grammys, three Academy Awards, nominated for six Tonys, and contributed lyrics Stephen has to films like Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame. So that's our first one-hit wonder for the week. Uh, That's Day by Day, the cast of Godspell from 1972. 
And the Lord's Prayer, remember Sister Janet Mead? I, I do remember that. I tried yes. to call up that, that video sometime. She's now in her 80s. Oh, my God. Um, this is a video straight out of the early 70s, Frankie, I got to tell you. It was shot at St. Aloysius College in South Australia, where from which she hails. Okay. You know, she still teaches music there to the young ladies there in her 80s. She'll show up once in a while and teach music to them. That's incredible. The Australian Roman Catholic nun began the rock mass concept. I'm Catholic, so I remember the rock mass. It was like on a 7.30 on Saturday night or maybe a 6 o'clock Sunday night mass. Okay. Now they have it a little more um, featured more during the, the more key hours. So the Lord's Prayer, Frankie, released in um, actually my wife's birthday in 1974. Nice. And peaked at number four during Holy Week that year. And you know how many songs she had hit the charts after that? None. <laughs> All right, Frankie, today in rock history, December 20th, 1957, Elvis received his U.S. Army draft notice. Okay. So he was heading off to the Army, wasn't he? 1962, Osmond Brothers performed on the Andy Williams Show for the very first wow. time. Uh, minus Donnie, where they performed the song, I'm a Ding Dong Daddy from Dumas. Hard to believe I missed that. And they were on their way. Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the Beatles saw the, the Osmonds on Andy Williams and said, you know what, we can be uh, rock and rollers. We can be that big. Because everybody saw the Beatles and decided to become a rock and roller. That's right. Donnie would make his debut on the show a year later singing You Are My Sunshine. Okay. Not the Stevie Wonder song, but uh, just You Are the Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Since 1963, he would do that. 1965, the Beach Boys released the tune Barbara Ann. Oh, okay. Ba, 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 yeah. Ba. Jethro Tull was formed in 1967. And uh, then the same day, December 20th, 1967, Joan Baez and her mother were sentenced to 45 days in jail for Joan's part in the Oakland demonstration. Oh, okay. Where Joan and Mom were protesting the draft. Oh, boy. So Mom was in trouble. The live album Concert for Bangladesh was released on this day. In the States, 1971, singer Bobby Darren passed away. He was only 37 years old. He died yeah, from uh, complications from heart surgery. Great voice. 1973. Joe Walsh officially joined the Eagles in 1975. Some might think he joined before the album One of These Nights because it had that more electrified version, didn't That's it? That's uh, right, yeah. Sound. But he actually was there in time for Hotel California. Mm-hmm. And in 2006, nearly 40 years after its release, Procol Harum organist Matthew Fisher was finally awarded, get this, 40% of the songwriting credit for A Wider Shade of Pale. The award was reduced a couple of times uh, since then, a couple of years later by a London court. But Wow. So all of a sudden, they got to start paying somebody 40%, and they have to go through all the records from 2006 all the way back to like 1967. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Wow. Birthdays. Your name is Mudd. You know, that came from Samuel Mudd, the right. doctor who set John Wilkes Booth leg after the assassination of President Lincoln. Samuel Mudd was born in this date in 1833. Harvey Firestone in 1868. If he hadn't been born, nobody would be driving Firestone tires. <laughs> That's right. George Roy Hill, remember him? He mm-hmm. directed The Sting and Slaughterhouse-Five, Slapshot, which is a, a fun movie, isn't it? Some really good movies. 1922. The fastest man in the world at one time was Bob Hayes. Yeah. And then he went on to play uh, for Dallas Cowboys, playing that ice bowl game. and Bullet yeah. Bob Hayes. Yeah, and he, was, uh, he came to fame um, in Tokyo Olympics. And yes, here we are having another Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, that's right. That was um, Tokyo Olympics just happened a few months ago. 
1942, Bob was born. Peter Chris, the drummer from Kiss, you know, he wrote the song Death uh, before the band got together, actually. That was a big hit for them in 1976. He was born in 1945. Wow. And Alan Parsons is 73 years old today. Nice. Frankie, those sleigh bells mean one and only thing. That. Five days from now is Christmas. Uh, did you get the gift I, I gave you, by the way? It's the same thing as last year. Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for the same thing you gave me last year, couldn't, which is could nothing. Could have been more perfect. Yeah. So I have a download discovery, which is a Christmas song, and you're going to give me one, too. Which one do you have? Well, I went with a tune called Little Drummer Boy. We've talked about this one before. Really? Uh, but this time by Rick Braun. Oh, yeah. We just saw him in town at the Palace Theater last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, rather, with Dave Cause. Favorite trumpet player. Yeah. Uh, this is a great instrumental version of one of the most overplayed Christmas songs. Yeah. It starts with Rick playing a muted trumpet to the theme. It is then repeated by Peter White and Dave Cause on guitar and sax, respectively. Then Rick comes back with kind of a trumpet choir before turning it over to David Benoit for some piano improvisation. He's one of my favorites, David Absolutely. Benoit. Great pianist. Uh, finally, Rick wraps up the whole thing, repeating the melody with some more muted trumpet. The whole thing is beautifully done, and done by some of the most talented musicians anywhere. Uh, if you get the chance, catch them live, they're even better. Mm. Uh, the best part of all, there's not a rum-pum-pum-pum in the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> really, we've been talking about our download discoveries, and you know how much I like New Wave and, and New Age and stuff. But to me, Absolutely. smooth jazz, you want to do yourself a favor and, and call up some smooth jazz Christmas stuff. Like for me, I've got one myself, Tom Scott, who we've talked about time and again. He was the saxophonist on the big hit for Carol King, Jazz Man. Sure. His work with Steely Dan is legendary, and so many other artists, dozens and dozens of artists. Then he moved into the smooth jazz category. They put on an album called GRP Christmas, and this is from Volume 1. It's very easy to find. Um, you can download the whole thing, which I highly recommend. It has other smooth jazz artists on there, like Chick Corea. There's also David Benoit, who we talked about, Acoustic Alchemy, you know, so the song by Tom Scott is called Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which everybody knows. Sure. But I make sure that I put this front and center maybe even a couple of times on my on my Christmas uh, downloaded list of songs that we play every sure, year. Sure, your playlist. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody really knows what it is, but I do. And I've been listening to this song since it came out in 1988. They have like three or four versions of the the have yourself um, the, the 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 GRP Christmas. Now the G is Dave Grusin. That's what the G stands for. Okay. And he has a really good version of Some Children See Him, which is also on that very first CD. So it's Volume One. It's a white CD and it has like a half of a green Christmas tree. So it's easy to recognize. And then they have two other volumes which are just as good. But this one for me, my download discovery is Tom Scott. Have yourself a merry little Christmas from the GRP Christmas Volume One. Top five singles for the week, December 20th, 1975. We're still buying singles, even though, you know, it's Christmas time. Uh, they all went to number one, or were number one, at one point or another. Wow. Number five was Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio oh, Players. I remember, remember that? that one, yeah. Their second number one hit, Fire, topped the charts in the early part of 1975. Remember the Bay City Rollers? I Barely, but yes, I do. Saturday night, they're only number sure. one. But not their only hit. This was their debut effort. Silver Convention, they were a two-hit wonder of ours not too long ago. Fly, mm -hmm. Robin, Fly. 
Well, they only have six words in there, but did very well with that song. It hit number one, and um, then the Staple Singers, another number one, their uh, second number one hit, the first one from the summer of 72. Remember, I'll take you there? Yep. Well, Let's Do It Again was number two by the Staple Singers this week in 1975. And number one, Casey and the Sunshine Band, their second straight number one. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I like, like it. it. And they would have three more. Can you name them? Shake Your Booty. Oh, yeah. Shake, shake, shake your booty. I'm your boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Please and Don't Go. Please Don't Go, yeah. 1979. The number one album, Chicago Nine's Greatest Hits, Just in Time for Christmas. I guess if you asked for it on the 20th, you still might get it. But I did ask for this album. I really enjoyed listening to the, the Greatest Hits by Chicago, didn't you? That sure. was the one where they're all kind of painting the billboard or the wall. Right, and kind of falling off. And, yeah, yeah paint's some going re- everywhere. Some really creative <laughs> covers. That was not their first number one album either. You know, we've talked about this many times. Chicago was their very first featured artist on our podcast over a year ago. Exactly. Chicago 5, 6, 7, and 8 all topped the charts previous to that. That's right. All right, Frank, you don't know if um, we're going to do this all the time. We might run out of cities, but uh, it's kind of fun to know where uh, a band, a musical act, comes from, right? Oh, sure, absolutely. So many from San Francisco, like Tower of Power. I choose Chicago. Ah. So, obviously, a lot of the members of Chicago were from the Windy City. Terry Kath, Pete Satira, Bobby Lamb, Walt Pirazader, Lee Lochnane, drummer Danny Serafin. Jimmy Pankow was born in St. Louis. Oh, okay. And Bill Champlin, who joined later on, was from San Francisco. So that makes sense. Chicago, from Chicago. Absolutely. Ramsey Lewis, The Shy Lights, which also makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sticks, Cheap Trick, from Rockford, Illinois. Not quite Chicago, but close enough. Yeah. The Buckinghams, Coven, number one Tin Soldier, or oh, One Hit yeah. Wonder from a few, <laughs> a few weeks ago. Maybe more than that. Earth, Wind, and Fire, The Emotions, which also makes sense. Maurice White. Staple Singers, we talked about. Ides of March, remember them with Vehicle? Vehicle, yeah. And then uh, Survivor, some of the... Band members came out of Ides of March. Paul Butterfield. Okay. Chicago native. Gene Chandler. Now, sometimes they were born in Chicago. Sometimes they moved there at an early age. Right. Sam Cooke was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi, but then his family relocated to the Windy City when he was a young man. Mm-hmm. Bo Diddley. Family moved to the South Side when he was like five or six. Phil Everly was born in Chicago. His brother Don was born in Kentucky. Oh, okay. Then they spent a lot of time in uh, Iowa and then Tennessee, so... Uh, maybe there's kind of blowing through town, and Phil was born. Benny Goodman, you've heard of him. Of course. Herbie Hancock, these are legendary people. Absolutely. Jennifer Hudson, Quincy Jones, Shaka Khan, The New Colony Six, remember the song Things I Like to Say from 1969? Gene Krupa, The Drummer. That's right. Smashing Pumpkins, Rage Against the Machine, Kanye, and The Five Stair Steps with Ooh Ooh Child, remember that? Things are going to get easier. Just some of the <laughs> groups that hail from Chicago. We'll do that from time to time. Yeah, Maybe we'll do San Francisco stuff. next. Mm-hmm. Doobie Brothers. I, you know, I thought that we've already covered them as our featured artists, but I guess not. Yeah, we, you would have thought they would have done like one of those uh, chunka chunka to uh, Christmas. You know, it would, yeah. have made, it would have made a perfect Christmas tune. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The Rock and Blue-Eyed Soul Band from San Jose, California, formed in like 1970, signed to Warner Brothers Records just a year later. So they were off and running, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Tireless touring band, great in concert. Michael McDonald has been making guest appearances. Now he's back with the band. It's called Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald now. Oh, really? Okay. I like the early Tom Johnston stuff. Oh, it's great. 
uh, the older, uh, the, the, the longer they went with Michael McDonald and stuff, I kind of, it was good, but I kind of lost interest. I love the Doobie Brothers, but China Grove, Long Train Running, staples of marching bands everywhere and yeah. classic rock stations. Yeah, and you just can't get any better in some of those songs. You know, chestnuts. Oh, yeah. Listen to the music. Mm-hmm. Then What a Fool Believes wasn't bad, but I, I preferred Dependent on You, the Patrick Simmons song. 14 studio albums, one gigantic hit album, Minute by Minute, six live albums. They didn't know that. I didn't either. They sold over 40 million albums worldwide. They finally got into the Rock Hall, too, in 2020, That's which right. wasn't a great year mm-hmm. for it. They did everything, uh, you know, virtually. But nevertheless, um, they've had their 50th anniversary recently. When's the last time you saw them? Uh, probably about probably 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And at the time, um, it was Tom Johnson's turn. and they were really almost not even mentioning Michael McDonald. They mm-hmm. were really on the outs at that point. Uh, in fact, they made a couple of jokes about he's not there with them tonight because wow. he can't stand to look at them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they, but they, obviously they, things have changed. Yeah. The, um, did you see him with Journey? Perhaps was it one of those nights? Uh, yeah. Uh, I know I've seen him with uh, Chicago. I've also seen him with a couple other groups. So yeah. Um, these guys are tight. They play as if they just released that song as a demo. Right. They, they take it seriously, like um, many artists, like Bob Seger you mentioned before. Sure. How these, they're playing for their life. You know, goes to your point of view where you want to have fun at a concert, right? Oh, absolutely. And they're having fun, too. Yeah, they're having fun, and they're going to play you the hits, and they're going to play you some songs maybe you didn't, didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're going to throw in a little bit of everything. What do you think about the song, Jesus is Just All Right? Ah. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's it brings back you know high school to me. You know yeah. it's one of those songs that it just perfect little song. What do you think about South City Midnight Lady? Another great song. You know they had so many at that time. Another Park, Another Sunday. Oh, I love yeah, that one. Those you know none of them. The ones we just named were not big hits. None of them, nope. but they were. You know they got some play on. Uh, FM radio, uh, but just terrific tunes. Those are songs you hear once in a while. I wish I'd hear them more. We can always call them up on our own. But I sometimes like when you hear it on the radio or serious, when the other guy drives the bus. You know? Absolutely. You, you can yeah. call up anything you want, but it's always fun when you hear it, meaning somebody else kind of feels the way you do. I haven't heard this song for a while. I want to play it. Right, yeah. We've all heard Listen to the Music of yeah, 5,000 times. Yeah, taking it to the streets. Right, and, yeah. sure. Let's hear something a little bit different. I think one of the first things we talked about on our podcast uh, was Another Park, Another Sunday, how mm-hmm. it was released and didn't do too well in the summer of 74. DJs right. back then were uh, very uh, quick to turn the song over and found Black Water, and so six months later became, poof, their very first number one. Funny a, how things happen like what that. What a great tune. Yeah, it Just is. Fantastic. I think all their songs kind of sound different until you get into that Michael McDonald where you had the real love and, you know, I like the music, but... What a Fool Believes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. some of it, when when uh, Take Me In Your Arms, Tom Johnston, that was pretty much the end, wasn't it? Yeah. They had to go on the road or, or to promote it. They had to put a new album out pretty soon They just where they were trying to, um, you know, promote Stampede. And Tom Johnston had the stomach issues, you know, and and bleeding ulcers and stuff. And, and so they were scrambling for somebody else right away. Yeah. And they came up with Michael McDonald, and it was a, a great addition. Tom Johnston had to step away from the band. Michael McDonald stepped right in because I'm not sure if the Doobie Brothers would have lasted. Exactly. Had Michael McDonald not joined. And, 
You know, they were guests on the very first episode of Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Oh, I didn't realize In that. 1973. They weren't the only one, and I don't think they were the very first actor. The Rolling Stones were on that first one, too, which oh, okay. they made their like American debut the first time in five years or something. Back then, people hadn't, if you didn't see them in concert, you don't you see had, them on television. You don't see them on television, yeah. yeah. It would be very unusual to see your favorite band, yeah. So the Doobie Brothers came out in 1971 with that self-titled album. It didn't do much on the charts. Toulouse Street, 72, had Listen mm-hmm. to the Music, Rockin' Down the Highway, which is still one of my favorites. Yep. Jesus, Just All Right, number 21 in the U.S. album charts, produced by Ted Templeman, who was their longtime producer for Warner Brothers. And right. He also found another group called Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> did very well they didn't them. do too bad, did you they? No, he also produced uh, Tupelo Honey by Van Morrison. Some from Sammy Hagar and Nicolette Larson. That's something, you know, Michael McDonald would like to work with other artists, didn't he? Christopher right. Cross, Nicolette. Uh, he was not shy about doing something like that. The Captain and Me in 1973, Long Train Running, China Grove, I Went to Ohio U, and oh, yeah. the band loves playing those songs, mm-hmm. don't they? South City Midnight Lady is still one of my favorites. That's, that was number seven, the album Absolutely. was. Absolutely. So they were gaining steam as we moved toward the 1974 album, what Were Once Vices or No Habits, that's where Another Park, Another Sunday comes from, and, and Blackwater. And Blackwater, yeah. Good stuff right there. Blackwater was that number one. The album number five in the States, Stampede, Take Me in Your Arms. That was the last we heard of Tom Johnston, at least for a while. You know who sang backup on one of the cuts called I Cheat the Hangman? Maria Moldauer. Really? One, of, one of your favorite artists. Oh, Remember yes. Midnight at Midnight the Oasis? Midnight at the Oasis, yeah. yeah. Taken into the Streets then came out in 1976, and that's where Michael McDonald came in, which just signaled a different uh, different move in the yeah, band. Yeah, d- definitely a different yeah. direction. A blue-eyed sure. soul type of, yeah. type of music. And Minute by Minute in 1978. I guess they recorded What a Fool Believes in like 95 takes or something. They wound up using take number nine or really? whatever, usually. Oh. Some of the fresher ones are up front because mm-hmm. you're not thinking about it so much. Absolutely. Three Grammys with the album winning. Uh, some were Song and Record of the Year, the last album to include John Hartman and Skunk Baxter. Wow. So they left the band after that. Depending on You was co-written and sung by Patrick Simmons. Okay. Now, long hair. Really cool guy, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. One Step Closer, 1980, Real Love, number five album. Uh, number three album, rather, in the States, Real Love hit number five as a single. After that, Michael left the band to have his own solo career, I Keep Forgetting, and stuff like right. that. Right. Plus the stuff he did with other artists like Christopher Cross and Nicolette Larson. So their 50th anniversary tour was cut short last year. They could not make the show at Blossom because some of the crew members came down with COVID. The show is rescheduled for Tuesday, July the 12th. The 50th anniversary tour. Plus, if you want to get your hands on their book, Long Train Running, it's kind of like their autobiography about the 50-year history of the band. And of course, you can order it online. Plus, there's a lot of other cool Doobie Brothers gear you can get your hands on as well. The book is on pre-order right now. It's going to be coming out in 2022. We've had a lot of fun talking about our our Christmas songs, our top 10, our Download discoveries were fun. The smooth jazz, oh, something yeah. you can check out. Uh, best of uh, wishes for the holiday season, for Christmas and for New Year's. We'll see you right back here next week, right in the middle of the Christmas and, and New Year's. We're going to talk about Southern Rock Part 2, and that's Poco and Pure Prairie League. We're going to combine them. They, that was one of the last concerts I saw live at the Kent Stage pre-COVID. In okay. September of 2019 at that 650-seat 
capacity Kent stage close to the campus of Kent State. Um, that sold, show was sold out. It was Labor Day 2019. And it's a really, really good show. Poco opened, and then Pure Prairie League came on after that. We have other great shows coming up as well as we head toward 2022. So um, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Frankie, for joining me. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas, Steve. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.